This time on episode 452 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to be discussing the 1992 X-Men, the animated series, season four, episodes 11, 12, 13, and 14, as presented on Disney+. We're also going to be discussing some of the weekly Marvel Studio news, including Spider-Man spinoff series Silk Landing on MGM Plus over with Amazon. The Wakanda Forever costume designer Ruthie Carter on some of the choices she had to make during the movie and some of the box office numbers for Black Panther Wakanda Forever's opening weekend. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of this show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book Universes as told on screen by a very successful company called Marvel Studios. The show is recorded on Saturday, November 19th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast on www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chats as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about the Marvels. Because of daddy issues and mommy issues. If you'd like to talk to us about parental issues, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. You can check out our voicemail and leave us a message there at 844-THE-BUS-1, which is 844-843-2871. If Twitter is still around, you can find us at Legends of Shield. We're pretty sure YouTube's going to be up for a bit, so you can check us out there at youtube.com slash gonna geek. You can join our robust discussions on our Discord server at gonnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the GunnaGeek.com network. Agent Chris cannot be here today. He's off literally shooting cannons. Yes, cannons. Cannons. Let that sink in for a second. That's what he does in his free time. He shoots off cannons. Awesome stuff. Also, it's been a very, very eventful week. We had Artemis 1 actually launch from Kennedy Space Center down in Florida. It's on its way to the moon. Matter of fact, I haven't checked this morning, but I believe the Orion capsule is in retrograde orbit around the moon as we speak right now. And of course, well, Elon Musk, as has been alluded before, has been uh, making Twitter a very sporty place this week. So we'll see if that actually exists in a few weeks. No one knows. So anyway, in the meantime, we're going to ignore all that as fun as it all is. And we're going to talk about X-Men, the animated series. You two ready for that? Saturday morning cartoons? Oh, yes. All right, here we go. 
Previously on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We love talking about Marvel because time loops. <laughs> Repeated time loop stories. Again, she's not that great of a character. If you're stuck, you spit. And it's like the two things I would expect to never be allowed on a Saturday morning cartoon. And there they are, all nice and together. Xavier is taken care of, and that is how the episode ends. Sure. I believe you. Go out of the room. Okay, Nimrod, make sure you kill them. Oh, I can't wait till next Saturday morning. This is so cool. What happened? Because this is just a kid's cartoon from the 1990s. 1995 was 20 years ago. That's interesting. 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 <laughs> that previously on was brought to you by Chris. He couldn't be here today, but he definitely wanted to make sure that he brought us the previously on. So I will do a slow clap. Very well done, sir. Very well done. Well, this week we are going to be talking about X-Men, the animated series, season four, episodes 11 through 14, premiering on Fox Kids on September 30th, 1995 through August 28th, 1996. Here's how they laid out. Proteus part one, which was episode four, season 11 on Disney Plus, aired originally on Fox Kids, Saturday, September 30th, 1995. Proteus Part 2 aired the very next week, Saturday, October 7th, 1995. And then you have to fast forward to the end of the next season. Family Ties was Season 4, Episode 13 on Disney+, Plus, but it aired May 4th, 1996. It must have been like the 16th or 17th episode of the fourth season, I believe. And then you had Bloodlines, Season 4, Episode 14, which aired originally on Saturday, August 28th, 1996, which I believe was at the start of season five, or maybe I'm getting it misaligned and everything else was season three and Bloodlines was at the start of season four. I'll have to go back and check that. Michelle, regardless of where they were, what are the descriptions of what happened in the episodes? Proteus part one. Moria McTaggart is trying to help her son, but when he escapes from her island, she calls on the X-Men for help. Proteus Part 2. Angered at his father's reaction, Proteus creates havoc, but Professor X later calms him down and he stops the rampage. Family Ties. Pietro Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver, of the mutant team X-Factor, and his sister Wanda, the Scarlet Witch of the Avengers, learn from their dying father that they were adopted. Magneto, who is looking for his estranged wife, may hold a clue to the Maximoff twins' past. Bloodlines. Nightcrawler finally meets the mother who gave him up. Mistake. All right. That is what happened there. I think all three of us watched this either last night or the night before. So what were your thoughts as you were watching them, Lauren? Oof, okay. This was just Family Issues, the quadrology, but I kind of loved it. Who's the father? You're the father. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of which, when we get to Nightcrawler, I have some trivia there. Okay. Well, my first thoughts are we get family on this show on X-Men, the animated series, right in time for the holidays for us. I don't necessarily think it was in time of the holidays for them, but it was good timing for us. So congratulations on however the schedule worked out. All right, let's talk about these. Let's start with Proteus, and let's start as the theme of all four of these 
is family, but let's start about the background of Proteus. Okay, so Proteus here is a lot less dark and more sympathetic than he is in the comics. So he's been a recurring villain just for ages. In fact, when I got back into really reading comics, he was in an arc there with Necrotia. And anyway, so we see here that his father's a politician, his mother's more McTaggart. In the comics, he was conceived when the politician dad who was here, he's just like, he's the kind of dad you'd see on the Am I the A-Hole forum on Reddit. There, he actually sexually assaulted Moira, and that's what happened. That's how he was conceived. And then his powers are all about non-consensually entering people. Yay. Here, it's a lot more along the lines of he's just a hurt kid who is confused and has been isolated and just wants his dad. Also, fun fact, there have been two X-Men and Star Trek crossovers, the novel, which I have, and the comic, which I have not been able to get my hands on. The comic, a friend of mine was like, yeah, I think the only reason this exists is so someone could go Dr. McCoy and Beast and Bones will both turn and go, yes, and then look at each other. But Gary Mitchell is the bad guy in there. He possess or Proteus is the bad guy there. He possesses Gary Mitchell, who you might remember from like an early episode of the original series where he gets like possessed by a weird space being and becomes like kind of a godlike figure. I don't know. It happens a lot in Star Trek. Yeah, it was one of the original episodes because they hadn't changed their uniforms over mm-hmm. from what the pilot was yet. God, and reading about how they did those contacts where they just like, hey, here's a contact. We'll put foil on top of it and kind of lacquer it down and put it in your eyes. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just like, special effects were hardcore before CG existed. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, Proteus had those green eyes, you know, whenever he was inhabiting somebody's body, there was the green eyes. And it was kind of funny because you had like a parent a dad that was right over his son, right? And looking at his son like, oh, thank gosh, you're okay. And his eyes were glowing green. I mean, like, I would notice that if I was the parent. I mean, I know that's for audience benefit, but still, it's like, is this existing in universe? Because you should notice that. Uh, Oh, another fun fact. In the Ultimate Comics, which is how I got back into reading comics back in the early 2000s, they combined Proteus with Legion. And it was just a really, really horrifying arc with very, like, Chris Pachalo, I think, did the art for that. So he did it super jagged and disturbing. And it was, it was wild. It was a lot, also a lot less family friendly than this version. I'll bet the whole, whenever you say Legion, it's got to go down a path there. Oh, my goodness. What we did get, though, in the Proteus episode one is we got a very sly use of some footage that we've already seen, plus some new footage giving us the backstory between Charles and Moira and giving us to the point of, okay, how did Proteus come about or at least get us to the point where they were going to do the big reveal later of the fact that Proteus was the son of Moira. So I think that backstory worked very well. It wasn't too long. It actually moved along. It wasn't cut up too 
too short. It didn't jump around too much. So I actually think the production value of Proteus uh, uh, part one and part two, I was going to say episode one, episode two, I think production value of these were very good. It started with the backstory. What'd you guys think? This is one of those things that it's whenever I come back to it and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I like this whole interaction here. Much as I am a an Xavier Magneto shipper, the way they do Moira and Charles over the course of this and Moira and Charles and Lalandra over the course of this show, it's all very like Xavier just can't get a break. He's <laughs> all these people just getting involved in each other's lives and then not having the time or resources to devote to it. It's it's sad, but it's you know, it's comics. You actually get some of Charles's backstory in here, too, because he's in uniform, right? And then he's in the hospital after getting wounded in battle, or at least that's the story that they're trying to tell here. So you get all of that. And we already know a lot about these characters. This has got to be like the fifth or the sixth time that we've seen Moira and Banshee. So we've already seen this side of the story, and now we're getting really in-depth. It's really cool. Yeah, you find out why Moira's so invested in trying to find like a cure for mutants which again there's a whole lot of nuance there about like the disabled community and stuff like that but fun vo fact now that you've mentioned young xavier the voice actor who voices proteus also has been in the show before voicing young xavier in the flashbacks okay yeah dude's still acting cool i just think getting dumped by letter with the ring in it was wow moira that was a thing that happened back then they were called dear john letters and they still exist in the service even today service memories get deployed and they get dumped either an engagement falls apart or i'm getting divorced i'm going to divorce you because i can't handle the separation they're called literally dear john letters and that's what he received was a dear john letter it was not only a trope it was a real thing especially from Korea and World War II, and I guess Vietnam too. Yeah, there was a uh, pretty good. I always think of the far side when I think of those because somebody gets a a John Deere letter. It's a <laughs> deer who's being broken up with. <laughs> that's kind of funny, but you do get this Moira and Charles forbidden romance that's ongoing. Charles doesn't step over the line. Moira's made the choice that she wants to move on and do something else. She can't handle either the separation of Charles. She can't handle his drive of what he wants to do for the future or whatever. And it forces her into this, at least in this episode, into the relationship with Proteus's father. And then they break up because she had Proteus and he can't handle a mutant as a kid. That's the story that's told here. I know, Lauren, you just gave the background in the comics, but. Yeah, he also does not like having a mutant for a kid there because. Again, he's the family values campaigning guy and for secretary of state. It's very much in the lines of like there's okay, again, X-Men allegory for all sorts of minorities. In the queer community, there's a lot of people whose parents like force them to stay in the closet because what will people think? This is going to ruin my image. Also, the disabled community, there is a history, a very long history of people with inconvenient disabilities being locked away. I mean, look at Rosemary Kennedy after 
her dad ordered that lobotomy for her that got botched. And they just locked her away and told everyone, no, she died. That was one of the things underneath President Reagan. I don't know the exact specifics, but he did deinstitutionalize the disabled care. Yeah, it's we're still seeing the effects of that today. It's not great. I mean, on the one hand, it sucks to be institutionalized without your consent, but also there are no good resources for people now with severe disabilities. It's a huge problem in the disabled community of they were just like, okay, we're emptying these out. Problem solved. Yeah, I guess I got lucky with my sister up in Minnesota that there was a community that took I've heard, I'm trying to remember the actual name of the um, the department within the county, and it's just not coming to mind, but they stepped up and they created a support community, including resources and group homes and stuff like that for disabled people. So that's the reality that I kind of grew up in back in the 80s, and uh, I realized not everywhere was as lucky. But anyway, I think this dovetails into another point that Michelle wanted to make was the dangers of raising kids in isolation. Keeping your child away from the truth can make them question reality. Proteus can manipulate reality. How Proteus got to Wolverine was scary. Not being taught about emotions and how to deal with your emotions, that is emotional abuse because the kid, I really felt for Kevin not being just taught about anything, being locked in a room, you know, getting beams shot at him. He had no life. Had no idea how to experience anything. And when you're not familiar with certain feelings, you don't know what to do. You just sort of lash out. And I've actually been guilty of this. I haven't hidden the fact that I've had a mental illness since I was nine. That's when it first manifested. And when you don't know how to work with it, how to deal with the fact that you are. You know, sometimes you don't know you're having a nervous breakdown when you're actually having a nervous breakdown and you do extreme things. I've done extreme things when I have been not understanding what I'm going through and later on figuring that out and how it really impacted my life. And in a way, if you're outside looking in a bit destructive, being taught about what you're going through and taught about the outside world and how to interact with it is something that a parent needs to do. That is a big part of being a parent is going, okay, you're a little baby who knows nothing. I'm to teach you all the things. That's just parenting basic. And just do it and just do it correctly. It'll save a lot on therapy bills. Yeah, my best friend was um, kept very isolated by her mother. And after I ended up moving away, it was bad. It was really bad. 
you know, you read about people who like there's a very famous case, a quote unquote feral child named Jeannie, whose parents basically just strapped her to a toilet chair and didn't talk to her and left her there until she was like rescued as a like preteen, I think. And there's a it's not an isolated thing. You read about people who've been kidnapped and forced to give birth and their kids growing up being isolated. And it's that does a lot to you. You when you're a kid, your brain physically needs to be making connections with other people. That's how you learn how to people. And for people who are kept isolated, you don't get that understanding. And then, yeah, bonus, he's basically being tortured by his mother for, okay, I'm going to make an autism analogy here. There is a form of quote-unquote therapy that just involves basically crushing kids with autism who are having meltdowns. Instead of trying to work through things, you are trying to, instead of, you know, trying to learn about them and trying to learn about, you know, the accommodations that can be made there, it's basically torturing these kids to try to get them to conform to normalcy. And it's messed up just generations of people. And the fact that, you know, you are this person who is kind of assumed to be one way because you are not, you know, you don't think the same way. Just physically, again, you are processing information differently. And because that's inconvenient, you know, these these kids, adults sometimes, get tortured. You read about these schools that are still allowed to use electric shock to try to get kids with autism in line. And I mean, you may have all the best intentions of, oh, I just, I don't want life to be so hard for them. I just want them to fit in. And what you are doing is you are severely damaging and destroying this person that you're supposed to protect. And it's horrific and it still happens. And once again, how depressing is it that the stuff that's, you know, in X-Men that's supposed to be, this is a, this is something that's not real, except it is real. It's just looking at real things from a slightly different narrative. Yeah, the Proteus episodes really made me feel a lot here. I'm sorry. Totally okay. One of the more common things that happens is parents homeschool their kids for various reasons, very altruistic reasons at sometimes where the public schools are just not worth it of sending their kids to, and they're fortunate enough to have one of the parents at home that they're able to homeschool the kids. Well, the unfortunate effect of that is they don't have a normal sense of socialization because they're not out in school every day. They don't experience that uh, outside world and growing up, which might be great for some kids, but for some kids, it's very detrimental in their development phase of, of the socialization and stuff like that. So even something as innocuous as that can have an effect on a kid growing up. Yeah, that's what happened to my best friend. I mean, she was pulled out of school because there was 
you know, a girl that was severely bullying her. And I get that. But that combined with a parent who is trying to mold you to be a certain way and using isolation as a means of that, it's, it's abuse. That's what it is. And, you know, you look at it, it's a big deal in like fundamental families who pull out their kids from public schools because they want them to think a certain way. They want them to act a certain way. They want them to dress a certain way. Look at the, um, the Turpins who had like the 13 kids that they chained up in their house, uh, including young adults who looked like teenagers because they were so malnourished and isolated. And again, it's you might be doing this for the best of reasons, but you're still hurting this child. And in this particular case, the child is Proteus, and he does something horrific to a lot of different people. You could kind of see the horror on their faces as he's morphing the town that he's running through, right? Stuff like that. But Michelle brought it up, and I want to double back on it. Wolverine and how he was deeply affected. He was basically liquefied right in front of Proteus, and then he was reassembled back together. Now, would this have normally happened with Wolverine anyway? Yeah, but I mean, to to be disassembled at the molecular level into a different substance and then reassembled, that would warp just about anybody's mind. And Wolverine is unaffected by a lot of stuff that happens around him. And this deeply affects him. There's finally something that just he can't shake to the point where he runs away from Proteus a couple of times as he's supposed to be either containing him or confronting him. That's not Wolverine. I mean, this has affected him that much. Logan is just incredibly scared and cannot deal with what happened to him. That's what Proteus did to him. Wow. Again, hurt people, hurt people. Lauren, you brought up something in the show notes. I was going to actually do some research on it, but I saw you threw it in there anyway. There was a book that was blurred, <laughs> and I didn't know if like Disney Plus blurred it or if it was blurred when it first aired or whatever, but what was that book? Okay, so in episode 12, at one point, Beast is reading a book that says The Making of, and then blurred out. What the book actually is, is The Making of the President, 1968, which would be, what, Nixon? It was Nixon. And it was Nixon. Yeah, I don't know. I guess somebody objected to that at some point in between the original airing and where it is now. I'd have to think I have seen I might only have season one on DVD. But if anyone has the DVD of season four, check it out. Please tell us if it's still there or if it was blurred out. I don't know when it was done. But yeah, somebody objected to a Nixon reference, I guess, because the whole Joseph, Joseph McTaggart, that was his name, running for office on this family-friendly, you know, pro-family. My kids are everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, here's this one kid I locked away. Just, ugh. I, you know, I'm glad the episode and the, the two episodes ended up where they did, where father and son were able to reconcile. I'm, I'm glad it got to that point, right? Because in the episodes, there wasn't too much of a draw between them or a, a wall between them other than he just didn't want a son that was a mutant. And then he came to terms with that during the episodes. And yes, they can go off together. Uh, in other circumstances, I don't know if that would have been a happy ending, right? Because I don't know if the father was really worth it in the comics to 
come back to, but that's not what they showed. So it was kind of a happy ending. Proteus, the Liz Cheney of these episodes. (laughs) So moving on to the next episode that we covered, Family Ties. This is kind of a fun one because we had Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. We had Magneto involved for the first time in a long time. Matter of fact, I would argue that this is probably the best Magneto episode. But before we get there, at least that we've seen so far, let's talk about Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Let's start with their voice talent. Okay, I was looking these up because, of course, I look up voice actors. I even did that before I was doing it. But. The quick the the voice actor for Quicksilver died in 2020, which is you know sad. The Scarlet Witch VO she is still around, still doing voices. She has been on the show before. She was the voice of Callisto in the Morlock episodes, and she was Sailor Jupiter in the original English run of Sailor Moon, which started not long after this episode aired for X Men. The two of them were very close to what we've seen in the movies. Combination of the Avenger movies and the Fox movies. So I'm kind of glad to see that there was some consistency in their characters. However, their origin doesn't necessarily include Magneto, at least in the Avengers, if I'm remembering correctly, because there is no Magneto yet in the MCU. But it was go- it was fun to see them. It was fun to then to figure out what their past was and where they came from and stuff like that. And then we again have this entity from previous episodes that we've already been introduced to called the High Evolutionary, right? And so it just makes the story that much richer. So this is a lot closer to their comics origins, at least. Okay, I know there was a whole deal a few years ago when. They were like, oh, we're going to say that they're not mutants, they're inhumans, and that Magneto is not really their dad. But that wasn't a very popular opinion. I think they might have walked it back since then. So in the comics, their mother Magda, who Eric met in Magneto, met in a concentration camp. She was Romani. He's obviously Jewish. And they lived together for a while. Everything was great. But, you know, mobs of people happen. She was traumatized and ran away, which is why he was, quote unquote, hunting her. He was trying to find her because he still loved her. It's just she was scared of him. And that's when she ended up going to Wondagore Mountain, giving birth. And Bova, who I want to say had a brief appearance in the newest Doctor Strange movie. Doctor Strange in the Multitude of Madness? The, the, multiverse. the Multiverse of Madness. I want to say there's... I want to say Bova shows up there or somebody who looks like Bova. Anyway, and then after they're born there, they give the kids to another Romani family to raise. And here we see their adoptive father, Django, dying and letting them know on his deathbed, which is, you know, hell of a time. It's like, I don't want to discuss this. Here's this information. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. But we do have Magneto really drawn out here. I mean, we've had episodes with him in it before. There was a whole Savage Land thing that occurred that he was in. But we never really got 
in-depth Magneto until now. And now we, we get in-depth Magneto. I think they did it justice as far as I know. And I really enjoyed the richness of the lore that's interwoven in this episode with Magneto. And, you know, he, he was ready to fight his kids right off the bat until he knew. And even then, I think he was ready to go after him. I like the part where Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are there. We're going to get vengeance on you. And Magneto's like, look, I have wrong dozens and dozens of people who exactly are you like where do where in my list of who i've wronged and who i have done terrible things to are you but for me it was tuesday (laughs) right it was very sad what happened to their mom and they were very angry about it just learning about it i'm glad they finally learned about it you know when you're when you have people that have knowledge and they're basically on their deathbed and they have deathbed confessions, it's, it's, it's six and one half does the other. Because on one hand, I'm glad they're finally telling their secret. On the other hand, why did you tell the secret decades ago sort of thing? Because they didn't want to talk about it. Conflict by silence. And they didn't want to deal with the consequences, right? Yep, that's... That's why you have so many deathbed confessions to, like, murders and stuff. If you want an interesting time, go look up. There's every few months some Reddit thread of, like, people who have been there for deathbed confessions. What were they? And you get so many of, like, grandmothers who murdered their abusive spouses Mm. and people robbing, you know, people doing, stealing stuff. and it's. People live very interesting lives, and it's so interesting to see the stuff they're like, well, I may as well let this go now. Yeah, it's not too much that can be done. Matter of fact, I believe there's been two or three, and I think some were just attention seekers, confessions for the D.B. Cooper thing. There have been indeed. I was going to mention that. Yeah, that's a big one. For those that don't know, we're talking about D.B. Cooper. There was this. I believe in the 70s, there was this airline hijacking, and this was way before 9-11. So this is back when you could hijack a plane, not kill anybody, and get money or travel out of it. So somebody had gone on board this, I believe it was a DC-9, I'm trying to remember, either 727 or DC-9. It had the stairwell that came out on the back and tri-motor on the back, I believe. Anyway, got up in the air, in the air around the Great Northwest. I forget if it was above Washington State or Oregon State. Anyway, parachuted out with a buttload of money. Nobody's been able to find the money, the parachute, the person, nothing. They found a few. There was like a a couple of kids in the early 90s, I want to say, who found a bunch of waterlogged bills in a river, and they were confirmed to be bills from that. And I want, did they find a parachute? Something. But first of all, you may remember D.B. Cooper from Loki's appearance as him, which was I I screamed when I saw that because I am a nerd who reads a lot of true crime stuff and mysteries and solved mysteries and all that. There have been a lot of really interesting theories about who D.B. Cooper, who introduced himself as Dan. He was very polite. He wrote, I believe, please on the 
note that he gave the flight attendant that said, hey, I have a bomb. Give me money, please. And it's a fascinating case. It's one that, I don't know, probably won't be solved. But who knows? Nobody was really hurt in it. It was just more the audacity of this guy. And this is a sort of fascinating story that has made true crime a huge genre within podcasting and on YouTube as well as actual people trying to assist in the solving of the mysteries, whether it's murder or crime, robbery, something like that. Back to the episode here, though, we do have X Factor alluded to because apparently Xavier knew that Quicksilver, and I think this has been in the animated series before, but Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were part of X Factor. So Quicksilver is a pretty consistent member of X Factor in the comics. My favorite run of X-Factor was Peter David writing it, and I just loved how he wrote Quicksilver. He's this very arrogant, you know, oh, you people are so beneath me because I can move fast and then just, I don't know, Quicksilver's a fascinating comic character to me. And they are more of an investigatory branch of mutants, like they... The private investigators in my favorite Peter David run of it from in like the early 2010s, I believe, late uh, 2000s, early 2010s. And X Factor is just fun. I really recommend people read the various iterations of X Factor. Yeah, it was interesting seeing X Factor again took us back to the origins of X Factor for us in the series of we wanted to test you so i got you know forge going well so i got my new people and i tricked you and i had our heroes fight each other because i needed to know how good they were and i love seeing the original costumes for quicksilver and scholar scarlet witch because especially since with wandavision that was her halloween outfit yeah that was pretty cool right Iceman, the episode we alluded to last time when we were talking about Nightcrawler was the Iceman episode that had X Factor in it. And with the girlfriend and everything, we talked about that last time again, because it came up because I was like, ah, this Nightcrawler one reminded me of that one. Anyway, moving on to the last episode that we talked about or the watch was Bloodlines, which featured Nightcrawler. Yeah, we actually get the go back to episode one. We get the Friends of Humanity and we get Creed back and then we get Nightcrawler back, which we were just discussing. Yeah, there was a bunch of stuff that happened here. This is also a pretty good episode because you're able to take the backstories that we've now watched in the animated series and they're just throwing it all in. Creed, the Friends of Humanity, we saw from episode one, we have Mystique in here and Rogue, and we find out Mystique is Nightcrawler's mom, and that whole thing starts to come out here. You get Sabretooth at the end. So basically, you get this mega family between Creed, Nightcrawler, and Rogue that now understand that they're siblings, and they have Mystique and Sabretooth in there. So yeah, this was just great. This was just sit back and pop some popcorn and watch the sparks fly. There were some fantastic vocal performances in all four of these episodes. And Lenore Zan as Rogue really stands out for me. She's probably my favorite vocal performance in the entire show. And 
Purr and Nightcrawler are doing some heavy lifting with the emotional stuff in this episode. Because, again, not only is Mystique Rogue's adoptive mother, she's Nightcrawler's biological mother. She's Graydon Creed's biological mother. In the comics, originally, what was supposed to happen was that Mystique and her we-can't-legally-say-girlfriend destiny were supposed to have been Nightcrawler's parents. Mystique was supposed to have shapeshifted into a male form to impregnate destiny. Standards and practices did not like that back in the day. So instead, Nightcrawler's father is Azazel, who is, I believe, an actual demon in the comics. And here is, well, in, you know, X-Men First Class is a mutant. But I still think cowards. But again, it was the times that it was. It was a kid's cartoon. They weren't really doing a big thing about gender fluidity and transgender identities and stuff back in the day. Though I will say that recently I went back and I was watching a bunch of TV series from the 70s. And in Soap particularly, there's a gay character who's treated incredibly sympathetically. And because this was pre-AIDS... Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely fascinating and horrifying to see how the perception of queer people in media changed between, you know, the late 70s and kind of the mid 80s when AIDS was around. But anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there. I just read a fascinating story that Forrest Gump, too, was going to be about the son dealing with his HIV infection that he got from his mom. And that they decided not to go for it because it was literally the meeting like literally happened like two weeks after 9-11 or oh, something no, no. like that. It happened the day before they turned in the script like the day before 9-11. And there, I forget what was in there that they were like, yeah, we can't do this now. The reason I bring that up is because the timelines that you're talking about, because Forrest Gump, even though it's filmed today, it was about the past, right? It, it takes you through history. And I think it was about that point in the history, like late seventies, early eighties, that Forrest Gump kind of stopped. Uh, I want to say, okay, in the books, I think it wrapped up right around the late seventies, early eighties. And the sequel takes place through the eighties and nineties and is absolutely wild. There, the, Oh God, the book Gumping Company is just, well, the book Forrest Gump has nothing to do with the movie except for some key events. He's an a-hole in the books, but I kind of like him better. Yeah, sure. Sort of. It's it's a whole thing, again, anyway. Yeah, so we get in this episode, we get the, you know, the family, and at the end, you have Creed getting dumped off right in front of Sabretooth's house. Oh, my God. Punishment. By being with daddy. That was interesting and somewhat amazing because we don't know Sabretooth as a father. We don't know if the time between Creed's birth and the present has made parenthood the possibility of a father softening Sabretooth's heart. Maybe. Sabretooth will be like, hey, let's play a game of catch. I don't know. 
Sabretooth <laughs> was very intrigued with his one of his sons being dropped off. It makes me wonder, when did he find out that he was a daddy? Because it's the whole, you're a dad. <laughs> and it's just interesting about when, because, yeah, it, it was like, because it seems like Mystique was with this rich person mm-hmm. and then she had birth. But if Sabretooth is their actual daddy, then. The kid was Nightcrawler that ended that relationship in the past. She had to flee that relationship because she couldn't hide the fact that Nightcrawler was a mutant. Yeah. So afterwards, like, when did she meet Sabretooth? How did they hook up i mean was there a mutant tinder back then that we don't know about (laughs) i think there is now (laughs) oh god in the comics the whole krakoa thing being mutant sex island or something i full disclosure i haven't read any of the x-men comics in like i don't know four years i'm very very behind yeah they left genoa and they're on a different planet. And I don't know. I haven't read them in a couple of months. I have them. They're in boxes in the basement right, waiting for me to read them right now. But yeah, it's, it's a whole, they cut it like about a year and a half ago and they started a whole new thing. So all the comics are the Marauders, the X Factor, X-Men. Uh, there's, there's like about 10 or 12 mutant books that yes. are going on right now which is one of the reasons that i i fell off is because it was just it was so much to keep up with and uh at the time i just did not have the energy to spare to do that right one of the things that i decided to do was okay let me keep up with kate pride because that seems like a cool arc to follow and even that got to be too much because she's in like three of the main books yeah Rodgers, X-Men, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. I know but for yeah, a while she was in Guardians on. of the Galaxy, too. Well, of course, yeah, because she yeah. hooked up with Star-Lord yep. and then became Star-Lord. Yep. So, yeah, a lot lots of stuff going on there. But, yeah, Graydon Creed is like the Uncle Ruckus of X-Men. If y'all are familiar with the Boondocks comic or animated series, love the animated series. I love how Sabretooth at the end, he's like, so I hear you don't like mutants. <laughs> uh, again, parental abuse, trauma, self-hating, blah, blah, blah. If you have to give your kid up for adoption, maybe don't, maybe vet people a little better for, you know, <laughs> hating your community. Yeah, right. I mean, if your kid is out to kill your kind. I mean, that's a relate. That's a fractured relationship right there. I mean, I'm not sure you do anything about that. There's there's a whole group that hearing children of deaf parent of deaf parents, and it'd be like if one of those kids decided, well, I hate all deaf people, and I'm going to make it everyone's problem. And it's like, dude, ugh. again. They need therapy. Everybody in the Marvel universe needs so much therapy. Which you can get on Capes on the Couch, also on the GunnaGeek.com network. There you go. There you go. Spot on. Didn't even know I was going to do that, did you? (laughs) 
All right. So these four episodes, amazing four episodes. I got to say, there were really good episodes. I'm glad that we've crescendoed up to this point in season four. I know I've heard season five gets a little bit rough. I've heard the Dark Phoenix saga is like the apex of the whole series. But these four episodes were really good. Yeah, again, this was, I can't tell you how much X-Men and Batman the Animated Series affected me as kids, both in terms of, oh my God, these are vocal performances that are actually like believable. I remember being very, very struck by the difference between voice acting and like, you know, the Hanna-Barbera and Looney Tunes and stuff. Well, Looney Tunes is a bad example. Mel, Mel Blanc was a genius. But that very, like, from He-Man and stuff, that very, you know, sort of very choppy way of delivering lines. And then you go to that to the much more naturalistic performances in Batman and X-Men. And add to the fact that not only is the animation great, not only is the voice performance great, but you're getting these stories that are... I mean, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're kid friendly down, but they're still just, we weren't getting those cartoons at the time. We weren't getting the stuff that taught you about, hey, so the real world is hard and people have problems and, you know, everybody feels different and sometimes people hate you for being different, but there's always going to be people who are like you, who are, you know, you can find and seek out and make a family with. And it's episodes like these that really, really solidified all of that for me. The the smaller, the not big epic storylines, which I still love, but the smaller human drama of it. It made a huge impression on young Lauren. I think it still holds up really well today. And oh, I just, I just love this show so much. Yeah, it's been interesting how much of the show is relevant to the present. I'm also impressed by the consistency of the storytelling so far. Have there been a few episodes that have just been, eh? Yes, but we've still enjoyed watching them. We're still engaged. That's a testament to the skills behind the scenes, the writers, producers. You don't get performances that we get by just sitting someone down and going, okay, just talk. There has to be a process there. I wonder who actually directed the voice actors. That would be fascinating. Like, was it, you know, Houston all the time? Was it someone else? But whoever it was. They got these great performances. And, you know, as Lauren's talking about, if you've ever watched anything like, uh, so for example, they sometimes people take movie clips and they change the music to something like silly and, or they take it and they put um, Celine Dion or um, I Need a Hero and just how it changes the whole scene. Because one of the things that's important that I tell, people like who want to stream or whatever like oh my goodness i got this great camera blah 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 i always go but what your microphone because people hear before they see so it's much more important that people hear you clearly before you have the best camera yeah 
Also, I would argue that audio gear, even good audio gear that will get a good sound is a lot less expensive than a even bottom of the line camera that can stream these days. So I think if you start with audio and even your cell phone camera, you're ahead of the game there. But yeah, I don't know if Larry Houston directed them or not. I know we know the Lee Walds did not go up there because they said the first time that we met the actors when we interviewed them was at the convention, you know, decades later. So I don't know who was the director on site in Toronto when they were actually recording. I think it was a whole different unit. The voice director for the Proteus episodes was Dan Hennessy. And I am checking for the other episodes. All right. So it wasn't Larry or Eric or any of the guys that you normally see on the panels in the L.A. production, which would make sense because they're up in Toronto. And back then you couldn't do anything like Skype or Zoom or anything (laughs) like that. Uh, Oh, my God. Vocal work uh, and remote vocal work has come such a long way, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, even... Gosh, what's his name? Um, Mike Rowe that does like the voiceover for Deadliest Catch, which I no longer recommend watching now. But anyway, he had to turn in his voiceover by either doing tape sync or going to a studio or something like that. But after the pandemic, he started just to do everything from his own house. And he has podcasts as well. The unfortunate part is he doesn't always use his good audio gear. He sometimes uses just like a laptop mic or something it's like dude you got all the stuff why don't you just use it anyway okay imdb lists dan hennessy as voice director for all four of these episodes okay so i wonder if dan hennessy was the overall voice over director in Uh, toronto i don't know he did his on imdb is doing a lot of it i'm not sure if it's every episode a guy was doing voice directing up until 2008 he's still doing voice acting so cool All right. Well, again, these four episodes were really good. You guys mentioned the voiceover. I mentioned the overall story. The writing was good. I think the editing of the video was good. We didn't have bad video. We didn't have bad animation. The fights were good and decent. One could argue the Proteus stuff got a little trippy from time to time, but that was the thing back then. So I don't have anything against it. And once you go into the mental side of things, just always, I, I don't all the time mesh with those types of stories. But I think this one was done very well for me, at least. So yeah, I think this is good. We're looking forward to continuing this. Unfortunately, we're not going to continue it next week because we're going to rewind a few months and we're finally going to cover the 2022 MCU film Thor Love and Thunder. That'll be next week. So if you have anything to say about it, like say, "Mm, goat screaming, get that into us at our contact information, 844-THE-BUS-1, 844-843-2871, or email me or send me a DM or something like that. We'd like to know what you guys think of Lord Thor Love and Thunder months after it came out. And we're doing that because the next week we will be covering Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's been out for a week. We'll talk about it in a second, but we are really looking forward to covering that movie more so now than before. All right. We have a lot of news to cover some of the Black Panther stuff, but there's other amazing things that happened as well. And we're going to be talking about that right now.
Well, this isn't Gwen Stacy news, but we are getting a Spider-Man spinoff. So Spider-Man spinoff series, Silk Lands Order at MGM+. Plus. I did not realize this, but Sony controls over 900 Marvel characters. And as part of an arrangement that predates Disney's acquisition of Marvel and many of the Marvel characters are heading to the small screen after MGM+. Plus the linear network formerly known as Epics and Amazon Prime Video ordered a suite of live action series from Sony Pictures Television. Spider-Man spinoff series Silk Spider Society, which has been in the works for some time, will be the first show to emerge from the pact with The Walking Dead's Angela King set as showrunner. The deal is a culmination of a complex web of rights that meant the series will have to debut first on a linear network, in this case, MGM+, which is set to be relaunched with its new name in January. MGM+, will have the first window in the United States, and the series will then air on Amazon's Prime Video streaming service in the States. Very interesting. A lot of information tidbits right there. First of all, if you had not already heard, MGM has been purchased by Amazon Prime Video. That was earlier in 2022. I can't remember if it was March or May, but it was really early in the year. So I'm not surprised that it will air first on MGM and then go to Prime Video. I think they wanted to have it on Prime Video, but because of the agreements, they had to show it on a linear network first, which would be MGM+. Plus. So there's that part of it. There's also the part where I did not realize, like you said, Michelle, that they control over 900 of the Marvel characters. That's a lot. In with the Fox acquisition over at Disney, you have a ton more that are in control over in Marvel Studios, but you have 900 that are here. So anything Spider-Man related, which I'm surprised you didn't make a note that I said amazing news, amazing Spider-Man. See what I did there? Yeah. Anyway, I am not surprised. I was wondering where they were going to go with Sony because Sony does not have a distribution network on their own. They canceled the PlayStation plus sort of stuff that they had going on. So I have nowhere within their company to do that. So they had to make an agreement with somebody. I was thinking maybe they make, make an agreement with Disney, but they didn't, they went somewhere else and they did this. So it'll be interesting how this proceeds. Will Tom Holland eventually play with this? I don't know. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, I was surprised that it was MGM. A lot of people don't connect Sony with MGM. Yeah, I didn't know about that acquisition or else I forgot. Yeah, same here. Same here. It would be, it's going to be interesting how Disney and Kevin Feige react to this. Like, are there going to be more deals that have to be made in order to get Tom Holland to be Spider-Man that impacts the MCU? That's going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, we followed that rumor a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was last week that Tom Holland was under contract negotiations. It was just rumor. There was nothing out there. And I think it was important for that rumor to get out there. And it might have been leaked by Tom Holland himself or his agent to try to bridge that gap between the two companies again. Because remember, Tom Holland actually had to go crying to both companies and say, look, can't we all get along? Everybody wants to do this. I want to do this. Let's continue this relationship. And both companies finally said, fine, we'll do it for you, Tom. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. 
So maybe the contract negotiations, the rumors for that was leaked because they knew that this was coming out. And they were saying, look, it's fractured, but we can still play together sort of thing. So I don't know. There's nothing in there other than me connecting the two stories that have been out there. And we'll see where this goes in the future. I know a lot of people are really excited about Silk. A lot of people are excited about Into the Spider-Verse 2 that's coming out soon. There's a lot going on in the Spider-Verse. I mean, we covered Morbius a couple of weeks ago. That was pathetic. But I think this has more of a chance to really do something, especially since you have Prime Video. I think about anyone, including Netflix, Prime is like, I don't want this to flop. We're throwing a lot of money in here, but we want to make money off of it. So let's make it good. And they have a history of making good series. So I don't know. We'll see. I think we talked that one to death for now. Lauren, what do you got? So a little bit of Black Panther news. As y'all may remember, if you listened to our previous episode on the original Black Panther movie, I am absolutely in love with the costumes and with Ruth Carter, who does the costumes. I was lucky enough to actually get to talk to her at a convention and go to her panel. And I think we uploaded the panel. I don't remember. But she is back for Wakanda Forever and was discussing the costumes for the people of Talokan because we aren't doing Atlantis here. Somebody else has Atlantis in TV, in, in superhero movies. And we decided to make it very like Mayan and Aztec inspired. In fact, the name Talokan is from the realm of Tlaloc, the, the god of storms and water in Aztec mythology, who is in Mayan mythology as like, oh, I can't remember the pronunciation there. But anyway, that's why we have Talokan. It's named after his domain, Tlalocan. But the costuming required for underwater scenes has a lot of concerns because we know how costumes move when, you know, you're in air like we are now. So Ruth Carter and production designer Hannah Beachler were talking about how they were trying to figure out the best look. So what they did was they had a 20-foot tank where they did tests. They put people in the costumes and put them in the water and film them there and see like, okay, how can we adjust this? Which eventually involved putting weights in some of the costumes because otherwise the fabric, it tends to be very light. It would float up and that's not really the look they were going for. They did very well. I saw the movie last week. It's so good. The costumes are once again just gorgeous and incredibly stand out the music is great anyway we'll talk about it when we talk about wakanda forever in a couple weeks but yes know that the costuming is once again amazing and detailed and as you can see from them testing how it looked in the water a lot of thought put into it neither michelle nor i have seen the movie as of today but we do plan on seeing it soon and we can't wait to see it. There's been nothing but glowing reviews, but because we haven't seen it, we're not going to go into detail about it. That was a new story that we felt that we could talk about to anybody that hadn't seen the movie yet, because it is really cool what Ruthie Carter has had to do over the years for costuming. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, if you haven't seen it yet, there is no technical shawarma at the very end of the movie, but there is a mid credit scene that's amazing. So if you need to go to the bathroom and you're waiting for the shawarma at the end, 
not there. You can go after the mid credit scene. All right. And then talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, we're going to talk about the box office because that's something we can talk about. And last weekend, which was the opening weekend, Black Panther Wakanda Forever became one of the year's biggest hits. The film has been greeted with great reviews, and I've heard personal great reviews too to some people that usually are very critical of movies. So I was actually shocked about that. And a tremendous response from audiences with a 84% certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which for the record, I don't go by Rotten Tomatoes anymore before because they have clearly been bought. And a A cinema score. Now, it seems that the sequel has another accolade to place under its belt. After Wakanda Forever's massive 381 million debut, Disney has officially passed the $3 billion mark at the box office for 2022. This marks the 14th year that the studio has hit that milestone, and it passes last year's $2.9 billion total in the middle of the pandemic. The film, combined with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, Lightyear, and Death on the Nile, all contributed to the final number. $3 billion for Disney this year, and Wakanda Forever's $381 million debut. Arguably, I think that debut would have been much, much greater had this been pre- or very post-pandemic, but I think audiences are still a little skittish about going in there. Okay, let's talk about those movies. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We all saw that. It's all horrific, but you know, it was a good Marvel production. Thor Love and Thunder, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> not a bad movie, not a great movie, but it was in there. And then Lightyear. Did you guys watch Lightyear on Disney Plus or in the movie? Theater? I have not yet. I'm going to at some point, but I'm very behind. I still need to see Soul and Luca, so I'm I'm very behind. Lightyear to me, because I saw it, was just a fun, just popcorn type movie, feel good movie, and everything. Chris Evans voices Lightyear instead of Tim Allen, and they made some other changes. It does not happen directly in Toy Story. It's it's the movie that Toy Story talks about, so it was actually pretty fun to watch from that standpoint. So yeah, Disney has thrown some pretty good ones in there for 2022. And judging by what I've seen on the schedule for 2023, they're going to do just fine going forward. The key point I think with Disney and any movie theater is, did you make more than what it costs to actually produce the film and then to market the film? That's the big thing. That's the one thing that nobody talks about. How much Mm -hmm. does it cost to market the film? And that is tough. That's a tough number to come by. And it's a tough number to get over in some cases because some of this Marvel stuff, they spend as much money or more marketing the film as they do producing it. So not only do you have to get over that initial hump of how much it costs, but now you have to double or in some cases triple the amount of money. I think Infinity War and Endgame was was close to tripling the entire thing, the entire money but they made it back there with those two movies but not all movies can do that so that's something to keep in mind but so far disney is doing pretty good they've got the formulas down and they're going forward that is not to say that they haven't had their issues and we talked about black widow you know so that's that's been an issue but yeah 381 million dollars debut i am absolutely certain throughout the holidays that this is just going to grow 
because this is going to be in the theater for a while. Everybody's going to want to go see it now that the reviews are out. Everybody's singing its praises and seeing how good of a movie it is. Plus, you're going to have people who... So we were originally not going to see it opening weekend, but then my spouse got called on a business trip and we weren't going to be able to see it for like another week. And I was like, but I really want to see it. We ended up finding a uh, an early afternoon showing that only had, I think, like four other people in the theater. All the evening showings were pretty booked. All the weekend showings were pretty booked. But if you, I think there's a lot of people who are like us who are like, okay, let me look at the weird hours where not many people are going there. So it's it's just kind of that math going on. Yeah, and that's if you're trying to avoid crowds going into movie theaters, which is entirely understandable in this date and time totally get that and it's probably what i'm going to do too is look at a time that's not there the other thing i wanted to say though about this is that usually disney has been okay we'll show the movie 45 days after on disney plus i do not think that that's going to happen with this movie i think it'll be well after the holidays that this finally drops on disney plus so if you want to see it anytime soon if you don't want to get spoiled on it or whatever you're going to have to bite the bullet and go into the movie theater, in my opinion. In my opinion, it was it was very much worth the experience, even with the small crowd that we had. Oh, some of the audience reaction. I, I would have I've got I wish that I could have been there in like a big crowd to hear the audience reactions to a bunch of it. But I cried like five times in the movie. I tried very hard not to wail just like outright <laughs> and be considerate of everyone around me. Well, I, I think everybody can understand going into this movie. So if you go into the show notes and if you look, I put a bunch of different news stories in there. There's a couple of news stories about Thunderbolts film coming up. There's a couple of news stories about when shooting is going to happen on some of the upcoming films. and. Disney Plus series. There's the official trailer for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Kevin Bacon's the only thing I'll say there. And then you have some Daredevil news across the board, some Agatha, Covenant of Chaos news again. And then at the very end, there is a story that was done from Vice President of Production and Development on Marvel Studios, Nate Moore, talking about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought that was interesting. Go take a look at it. We might talk about it in the future. I see you also have a link to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special trailer that dropped, what, yesterday? It's fun. It looks very fun. My spouse and I are kind of hoping they go full Star Wars holiday special, but no, it actually looks good. No! No! I watched the holiday special for the 12th time this week to celebrate Life Day. By the way, happy belated Life Day to everyone. Anyway, this one actually looks good, like unironically good. So I do not advocate watching the Star Wars holiday special. This is only the second time I've watched it with the Rift Tracks, too. Oh, well, I guess Rift Track. With Rift Tracks, it's pretty great. Oh, I forget. And I think it, We Hate Movies did a, um, a companion track to it on their Patreon. So I watched it once with that. But yes, that means I've watched it nine times without commentary. Oh, no, 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 no. Watch it with commentary. Okay. Anyway, that's it for the news this week. And I think because of that, what we're going to do is we're going to 
What, Michelle? We're going to body hop on our way out. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and watching the episode. We really appreciate you. I'm pointing at you, audience members. You are what make us go, and your commentary back to us make us go. Love the discussion over on the Discord server, either on the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel or on the uh, General TV Movies channel. And of course, we spill over into the Starling Tribune channel from time to time when we talk DC Comics, because it's kind of hard to stay exclusively Marvel with some of these stories. So it goes back and forth with some of that stuff. So thank you for all of that. And I have been on a bunch of shows since I talked about it last time. I was on a show talking about 12 Monkeys. I think I talked about that last time with the TV's Travis. I have been on Dead Set Podcastings. That is Joshua Liston in Australia. We talked about all about the Roadcaster Pro 2. I stepped in for Kate over on Ignorance Was Bliss and did an intro and outro for her over there because she couldn't talk. She literally couldn't talk, so she asked for help on a bunch of different podcasters to that, so she asked me to do an episode there. So I was over there, and of course, we have Better Podcasting Chats with SP, which I did the recent episode with TV's Travis. Very interesting story there. And then over on the Better Podcasting main show, we are talking all about, in Season 2, about the personal aspect of hobby podcasting. So the last episode, which should be out in a day after we record this, will be episode 264, and it'll be all about your personal influence actually on the podcast itself. So you can find that at betterpodcasting.com. Okay, so other than this, currently you can find me still on Twitter, just hanging on. At Sith Witch, you can find everywhere I'm at professionally on my website, lwsalinas.com. That's L-W-S-A-L-I-N-A-S.com. And that is currently it. I'm keeping my schedule kind of light until the new year. Yes, thank you again to everyone who downloads us. And as Chris says, allow us through your ear holes into your brain. Every time you do so, we know there's other things you could be consuming. And the fact that you take time out of your day to consume us is always appreciated. And you can find me on Twitter at shell underscore game. All right. Looking forward to the next week. It's American Thanksgiving, America Thanksgiving, which, okay, there's some, there's some stuff there, but we get to take a weekend off and we get to get evaluate everything that's going on. So Until next time, because we will be recording next time, next weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. I am SB. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. See everybody next time. Ah! Bye-bye. Eat all the pie. Goats. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of Shield, or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended.
oh, wow. I don't remember hitting my other alarms. The alarm for this show is what woke me up. Oh, no. I hate that. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, I probably would have slept later, but Pike is like, hi, you will feed me right now. Yep. Good old Pike. Because I'm like, wait, this music means the podcast is close. <laughs> I could actually give you the music for the podcast. <gasps> that yeah, because right now I have the Avengers theme, <laughs> but that would be cool if the show's theme I could get as a ringtone for my podcast alarm. Oh, and we have a closing date on our house. Oh yeah, when is that? December nineteenth. Oh right. Oh, so you sold the what? You sold it? Oh, we sold our condo like months ago. Yeah, oh, that's okay. news. Congrats. Yeah. 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 I'm we we went there last week with my family to show them like, hey, I showed you the wrong lot last time. Here's where we're actually gonna be uh, living. And uh yeah, the walls are done. They're getting ready to put they put all the cabinets in. We're trying to decide if we want to paint before we start moving furniture in. I would. If you have the time, I would. But that you know, that's up to you. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.